feel like I'm still catching my breath after the last two weeks of Monster Kid Radio. It's been a couple of really long episodes covering some pretty cool topics. I hope you guys and gals stuck around. We're going to start dialing things back and getting back to quote-unquote normal length, hopefully with this episode, number 340 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook, and I want to welcome you to the show. And we've got a new band. The band is called Black Transmitter. They are a band out of New Jersey. The song is called Under the Phosphine Sun. It's from their EP, INIT signal return or is it in it signal return either way look them up at blacktransmitter.bandcamp.com they gave us permission to play this music on this episode of the podcast go check them out the EP's pretty cool this week on Monster Kid Radio we've got a lot lined up I know I said it was going to be a shorter show a little bit back to normal length but man I got the good stuff here We've got a conversation with a longtime friend of mine that I don't spend enough time with, Tom Bigler. He is back here on Monster Kid Radio. If you go through the archives at monsterkidradio.net, you're going to see him popping up every once in a while. He's an incredible sculptor, a great friend, and one heck of a monster kid. And he wanted to talk about a movie here on the show from 1970. So we're going to be talking about the Al Adamson classic Horror of the Blood Monsters. Of course, we're going to catch up with Tom a little bit, too, and just hear what's going on with him and some of the things that he's been doing this year to keep the Monster Kid vibe going. This was a recording that I did earlier this year, earlier this summer, and, well, it was before the passing of George Romero, and we commented a little bit about George Romero and him backing out of some appearances at some conventions this year. Uh, We didn't know... He was going to pass when we were talking about it. So it does come up. It's it's not awkward. I mean, it, it is what it is. But I just wanted to give people a sense of context when Tom and I are talking about his experiences at a particular convention here in the Pacific Northwest earlier this year. I'm going to revisit the George Romero thing later in this episode. So stay tuned for that. That's going to happen in the back half of the show, probably before a trip report, a convention report, a festival report. We have a report from the October Monster Batch where they showed all eight Universal Frankenstein films over the course of two days at an incredible movie palace. Well, we have a report about that event. That'll be coming up later in the episode. Earlier in the episode, in fact, right about now, we've got some voicemails. Hey, Derek, it's Mark Bailey. I just want to let you know I loved your last episode. You and Steven Turk had an infectious journey through the Mimiverse. Really enjoyed the episode. That said, as a guy who makes one short film a year, I hope some creative and ambitious MKR listeners will be inspired to finally make that movie, write that story, paint that painting, and draw that drawing. Also, your Lovecraft coverage was really cool, and I loves me some Barbara Steele. All right, so long now. Bye. Mark Bailey has been on the show in the past. He's a dear friend of Monster Kid Radio. He's also the man behind Foxtrot Studio. And yeah, he makes one short film a year and it's awesome check out foxtrotstudios.net to learn more about what he's doing mark thank you for listening and i'm glad you appreciated the <laughs> mimiverse epic episode uh from two weeks ago that was a blast to have steven turek on the show and, and and we're gonna have steven back on again those movies and what chris does it's it's pretty amazing i mean that he's doing a movie a year and i know he's got stuff in the works like i talked about in that episode two weeks ago Halloween, Chris usually announces what's coming up next. And I know there are things 
bubbling behind the scenes at the MIM Manor. So stay tuned. Uh, you know, it's going to be all over Facebook. It'll be on YouTube. I'll talk about it here as soon as he makes it public. And I don't even know what's going on yet. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I'm glad you dug the Lovecraft coverage. That was, you know, the festival. I, I talked all about it last week. And I'm still flying pretty high from sharing the stage with Barbara Steele and moderating that Q&A. You know, I haven't had any entries yet. If you go over to monsterkidradio.net, you're going to see a picture of me on stage moderating the Q&A with Barbara Steele. I have no idea what sound was coming out of my mouth when that picture was taken, but I love the photo. And I think it needs a caption. So we're going to do a caption contest. You know, I haven't gotten any entries yet, so let's go ahead and just extend it mid-November, let's say by November 15th, send in to monsterkidradio at gmail.com what you would caption that photo with. Again, check it out at monsterkidradio.net. Okay, we have another voicemail from a fellow podcaster. Hello, Derek and listeners of Monster Kid Radio. It's Jeff Owens from ClassicHorrors.club and the Classic Horrors Club podcast. I've been listening to the Mimiverse episode on the way to and from work this week. It took a few days, you know, because it was a long one. But I have to tell you, I loved every minute of it, and I had a smile on my face most of the time. Well, all of the time. Steve Turek's enthusiasm was infectious, and I really enjoyed the conversation. Derek, you mentioned one of your favorite things about Monster Bash was meeting your listeners. Well, one of my favorite things was meeting Steve and his son Ben. It warmed my heart to see that Steve is raising a real monster kid in this day and age. The relationship is such a pleasure to see. Who knows what Ben will do one day as he fondly remembers the movies he watched with his father. He could be a future Christopher R. Mim. No plugs today, Derek. Just wanted to let you know what a great episode it was, and I look forward to hearing Steven on your show again soon. Take care, and happy Halloween, everyone. Yeah, I'll do the plugging. ClassicHorrors.club. Check out Jeff's website. And the Classic Horrors Club podcast, top-notch. The past two episodes have been phenomenal, talking about Dark Shadows, Introducing Rich Chamberlain, who has never seen Dark Shadows prior to that episode. And then they did their own tribute to the Mimiverse. And that was really cool, too. I, I keep meaning to call into your guys' podcast. Anyway, yeah, you know, one of my favorite memories of Monster Bash is just hanging out. I love meeting the celebrities. I love the panels. I love the or the Q&As, I guess is what they are. The, uh, the events, the screenings, watching the movie outside. But really, my favorite memories of Monster Bash are just hanging out in the lobby of the hotel with fellow Monster Kids, listeners of Monster Kid Radio, new friends, old friends. It was just a treat. And I still have plenty of recordings of just sitting around with a group of guys, Steve and Ben being in that group, playing the classic five, talking about monster movies and just having a great time. I know Ben's doing stuff on stage, so who knows? Maybe there will be some Monster Kid influenced stuff coming from the Ben Turek camp. Steven Turek, parenting win. That's what's happening right there. Jeff, thank you for calling in. And Mark, thank you for calling in as well. If you want to be cool and call in like Mark or Jeff, all you got to do is pick up the phone and dial 503-479-5657. If you look at the phone, it's 503-4795-MKR. Call in and I'll put you on a future episode of Monster Kid Radio. What else is going on? Well, I want to talk a little bit about the upcoming Monster Kid Radio crash. It's happening at the Joy Cinema this Friday night, I believe it starts at 9 p.m., a screening of the original Nosferatu with a live band. I'm really excited to see Nosferatu on the big screen. 
I have never experienced a silent film like this with a live band with original music. Years ago, I got a chance to see Plan 9 from Outer Space with an original score uh, at a park. They were doing like movies in the park here in Portland. And also they did one of the Gamera films that way, which was really cool. But this should be a treat. I mean, Nosferatu is such an effective, moving film. I've got a Facebook event promoting the experience. I hope to see you guys and gals there if you're going to be in the area. I'm going to bring my recorder, so I hope to record a little bit while there as well. Again, that's happening at the Joy Cinema this Friday night, October 20th at 9 p.m. $8 to get in. And yeah, I'll probably bring a few extra bucks for some popcorn. Okay, let's get to this recording with Tom. Like I said, we're going to catch up a little bit. We're going to talk about horror of the blood monsters. And, you know, we talk about a few other things that are important to us monster kids as well. So I hope you're looking forward to it because it's happening right after this. An upheaval of nature tears loose a creature out of the nightmare of time. Spawned by an earthquake on the bed of the ocean. A reptilian, earth-shaking beast of the sea. The monster that challenged the world. My tank. My tank. What's wrong? Blake's tank is caught in the undergrowth. Died right in front of me. I couldn't help it. Talk sense. What's down there? I don't know. I never saw anything like it before. It's the size of a dinosaur and ten times more terrifying. Hurling the horrors of the unknown at every living thing. How often has this happened to you? You're on your way home after a long day when suddenly tragedy strikes. No human mind could imagine the enormous destructive power of this maddened, killing thing. Yes, sir, there's a big lizard back there and he's heading this way. Now get aboard! It's the kind of thing which can ruin your weekend. To prevent catastrophe, you need the Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack. This book features extensively researched methods to help you survive a giant monster event. You'll discover which vehicle you should use for making your escape, which method of counterattack is best for specific types of monsters. Hydrogen weapons, capable of wiping cities, countries off the face of the earth, are completely ineffective against this creature from the skies. And what common mistakes people make while fighting back. So pick up your copy of the Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack by Anthony Wendell today on Amazon. You can thank us by surviving. 
Beware the Astro Zombies. They mutilate, they torture, they kill. Spine-tingling horror, unspeakable shock, and breathless excitement will grip you as you watch living organs ripped from the bodies of voluptuous females as beating hearts and throbbing brains are transplanted to create the Astro Zombies. Cringe in terror, scream in fright as these skull-faced monsters strike blindly at living flesh and the motion picture screen flows in the blood-drenched wake of the Astro Zombies. The beautiful, voluptuous, deadly, vicious Satana, a woman who would stop at nothing to gain control over the Astro Zombies, whose creed was kill, kill, kill. John Carradine as the deranged scientist, Wendell Corey as the doctor who opposes him, match wits in this bloody, sadistic, terror-filled, suspense-laden horror film of brutal mutilations and senseless killings as the Astro Zombies go berserk and threaten a city with death. Watch it and you die a thousand deaths. The Astro Zombies in color, coming soon to your local theater. No, no. Sheer stark terror grips you in underwater 3D in Creature from the Black Lagoon. The most terrifying monster of the ages rises from the sea, raging with pent-up passions. Making every man his mortal enemy, every woman's beauty his prey. Creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D, starring Richard Carlson and Julie Adams. Every horrifying scene leaps out of the screen right at you. A universal re-release rated G. This is Julia Adams. And you are listening to Monster Kid Radio. Have a good time. This is Count Vlad, but you may recognize me by my more familiar name, Count Dracula. And I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited. And occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. In your parlance, you might call these revelations spoilers. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned. And don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of. Like that pesky Van Helsing. Calling Tom Bigler of the XB-13. Come in, Tom. Come in, Tom of the XB-13. This is Tom Bigler. <laughs> How you doing, man? You are not telemetering. <laughs> I am not telemetering, and I am certainly not doing what a couple of those ground control guys are doing later in the Ooh. movie. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Bigler, it has been so long, Tom. How's it been going? It's been going pretty good. I mean, it's it's been quite a while since we had a chance to podcast together. Way too long. I, I don't know how long it's been, but I think we might be coming up on a record for the amount of time between guest appearances. <laughs> it's, it's been so long. Wow. So I am so glad that we finally got a chance to do this, and we got a chance to do this with a movie. It is a movie. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it is a movie. <laughs> a movie that you picked. But, you know, before we get into this, Sir. I want to just catch up, man. It's Certainly. been so long. And I know that you've been doing a couple of horror and monster kid and sci-fi things between the last time you were on the show and now. And I just I want to check in and see what, what kind of things you've been up to. Specifically, how was Crypticon Seattle? Crypticon was great. My wonderful wife, Mona, and I, we go every every year. It was good. It was in a new venue this year. Probably better than the last one. I think the venue was a little nicer. Okay. Yeah, it was good. Any, I mean, uh, <laughs> well, I, I know that you and Mona uh, got some original artwork. You had a caricature done of you as the Wolfman and she as uh, 
the gill woman, I suppose, yeah, the gil. creature. Certainly. <laughs> was there a lot of, or, or any monster kid type stuff there? Is it all modern horror these days? I haven't been in years. It's mainly newer, independent horror stuff. I mean, there's there's vendors that carry a lot of monster kid patches, maybe, if you want some Bride of Frankenstein patches or this or that. But it does cater, I think, more towards newer, independent, you know, the kind of stuff that goes on the circuit. Okay. It was real good. One big disappointment, and no disrespect okay, <laughs> to okay. Matthew Lillard, but uh, <laughs> as you know, that the George Romero was initially going to be the big headline guest, and uh, I was really looking forward to it because I've never seen him. You know, I've never met him in a con or anything, but I guess at the reasonably last minute, he had to cancel. I don't know if it was a health thing or not, but, but we got the uh, monster uh, legend uh, Matthew Lillard. <laughs> <laughs> who i like uh, yeah i mean i like him as shaggy and i liked him in scream <laughs> right what about his iconic role as serial killer and hackers come on now oh i, <laughs> I think i missed that one sorry <laughs> those are my two points of reference oh, for Matt oh Lillard. okay well <laughs> well three now crypticon Oh, oh, there you go. There you go. No, I was watching that. And, you know, I worry because Romero is getting up there in age. And I know that he has canceled multiple conventions. And it's usually health reasons. I know there was just a convention recently where there was supposed to be a big Dawn of the Dead reunion. And he had to bug out because he was sick. And it's, it's just unfortunate, you know. Although he's up there in Canada now. They've got universal health care and all that. So he should be okay, right? No. <laughs> that sounds good for him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to get political. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's about as close as we're going to get to that. Good. <laughs> okay. Good. And you, you've been seeing a lot of movies lately, and I know when we started talking about doing this, you said you wanted to mention a, a specific modern science fiction movie. And when I said, are you sure? And you said, you said people want to know. So tell me about this movie, this alien movie you saw. Alien Covenant. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it. Well, <laughs> as it, you know, I'm a huge I'm a huge Alien fan. Yeah, I think the original Alien is one of the best movies made. Ooh, yeah, I well, have. it is good. It, I actually just recently rewatched it uh, because Scott Morris and I did a, an episode on it, the Terror from Beyond Space, and we wanted mm-hmm. to, you know, make sure we had Alien in our in our mind while we watched it because mm-hmm. there seems to be some connections there. But no, I, I didn't realize you were such a huge fan of Alien. I just and it holds up so well. It does, and the franchise. I love the franchise through the first four-ish, <laughs> and then when anyway. But I don't. I'm not going to get on. The, the main thing I want to say is just that I know that Ridley Scott he's got a story to tell, but unfortunately for Alien fans, it's not Alien. Huh? You saw Prometheus. I have not, but my wife has, and I've heard all about it. Yeah, and it's it's a good sci-fi movie mm-hmm. i mean i enjoyed it as a sci-fi movie but it feels like they're trying to stick alien in there you know and it's it's not about alien he doesn't want to i don't think ridley scott is interested in talking about the alien as much as these other stories and then with alien covenant my biggest issue again is that it seems like somebody said well you know the people said there's not enough alien in prometheus so it felt like okay well let's stick some more alien scenes in it that to me just didn't really huh. didn't make sense for the story he's trying to tell 
which is a creation story. I mean, both were a creation story. You know, I think that's probably the best way. To, I've never heard anybody put it that way, but based on the reviews that I've heard, your summation there that he doesn't want to make alien movies, but he keeps making alien movies. He's got alien films, but not alien stories. That seems to make a lot of sense just based on what I've heard. That's unfortunate because I, I feel like when Ridley Scott is on, man, he is on. Mm-hmm. But, man, that's too bad. Does, does he just not work within today's Hollywood? Is there an issue there, I wonder? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. It almost feels like he can get the funding for an alien movie, but maybe not for the movie he kind of wants to tell. So it's like, well, I'll tell my story, and then maybe we'll put this in there. But, <laughs> but, but as a real fan, it really dilutes the legacy of the alien to me because it becomes such an afterthought in these movies. It just kind of bothers me. But anyway. Chronologically, timeline-wise, Prometheus and Covenant all take place before the first Alien film, right? Is that? Oh, yes. Yeah, the lineup. I think I've seen the first five. Alien, Aliens, Alien Cubed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The fourth one, which I can't Mm -hmm. remember the title of that one. Resurrection. Was that what it was? I think. With the alien dog and Hellboy. Yeah. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Which I liked all of those. I mean, they were all centered on the alien, and the, you know, the last two were kind of lambasted a little. But they were, what I liked about them was they're all from different directors that gave you a different kind of movie. Yeah, from a claustrophobic to Cameron and his big action mm-hmm. uh, to uh, Fincher and his dark, you know, brooding nihilistic to, uh, and I forget the director of the last one. I don't remember either. Yeah. Yeah, we're almost got to be almost starting to get a little fantastical sometimes. So, <laughs> Could part of the issue be not having any Ripley in it? Well, it's hard to, you know, she was such an iconic female. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they try to recapture it with a lot of these actresses, but it's tough, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So Gourney Weaver was pretty good, and, you know, times have changed as far as movie tastes and everything. That's true. I I agree with your assessment there that the movies are so different. I I always tell people that Alien is like the perfect combination of science fiction and horror. Mm -hmm. And Aliens is the perfect combination of science fiction and action because Mm -hmm. they're so totally different, but they still exist in that same space. And I think that's fascinating that you can use the Alien to tell these different kinds of stories, but still have a really good Alien story. Mm. And and that's that's just amazing to me, and I love that. And I I do feel like it's kind of just based on what I've seen, and I did see one of the Alien versus Predator films. It's kind of been diluted so much, and it sounds like it just gets even worse. I think so. I I wish they would just put it to bed and just try something else. Well, what else is Redley Scott going to do? What else has he got going on? Uh, Yeah. Isn't he he doing Blade Runner? Well, (laughs) is that one that needs to be? Followed up on at this point. I wonder how that's. I mean, he's already put out three different versions of it over the years, right? Yeah. Well, that's the way it has to work, though. Now, Derek, it's hard to come up with fresh ideas, and I can understand. You know, I've been cranking out so many movies for so many decades that probably it's getting tougher to tell original stories. So, and when you get to be older in Hollywood, too, I suppose it gets harder and harder to, you know, get looked at as a viable financial investment just because that's how hollywood works too now there is another alien movie coming Uh, are you gonna see it oh probably i mean (laughs) i guess i'll watch it you know he did do the martian didn't he i did like the martian 
Yeah, the Martian was good. He's had some, you know, I'm not a huge, uh, not a fan. I, I don't know a lot of Ridley Scott's movie. He did uh, Gladiator, which I liked. Gladiator was great. I mean, last so, film appearance of Oliver Reed. Mm-hmm. Really good film. So he's, he's obviously amazingly talented, but I just mm-hmm. wish he would get off the alien thing. And, but anyway, that was my rant and rave about alien. So <laughs> now we can go back to other stuff. So, oh, Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's relevant, though, because I think, well, like I said, Scott and I talked about it, the terror from beyond space. You'll be hearing that on an upcoming episode of Monster Kid Radio. And we do talk about the first alien film and where some of the influences from that film may have came from it, the terror from beyond space. And if you haven't seen Alien in a long time, listeners, I know it's kind of outside the wheelhouse here check it out it is so good the first film is an amazing example of just filmmaking on a budget in a singular location it's just well kind of i mean it's one big ship it's just fantastic so check that out tom likes it too so i mean if if tom likes it you know you're gonna like it right tom likes it yeah (laughs) when was the last time i had you on the show uh, that's a good question for a guy that has such a terrible memory like me, Derek. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> have we ever played the classic five? I don't think we have. Well, we got to then. Okay. We got to do it for any new listeners or listeners who haven't been paying attention. I've got a deck of cards here. Let me give it a shuffle. All right. I've got a deck of cards here. Each one of these cards has a this or that, yes or no style question. There are no wrong answers. All the questions are about classic monster movies. It's designed to give you an opportunity to learn a little bit more about the guest, and it's just fun for me. So, Tom. Sir. Are you ready to play the classic five? Okay. I think I've warmed up enough. I think I'm ready. All right. Here we go. You ready? Card question number one. Which do you prefer better, the giant Gila monster or the killer shrews? (laughs) <laughs> oh boy um that's a toughie i guess i'll say the killer shrews don't ask me why i don't know it's got sheriff roscoe p coltrane in it that's right <laughs> and it's got dogs in shaggy coats that they edit. the cold glossy pages of true magazine call the killer shrew the world's most savage mammal You'll never venture into a forest alone after you see The Killer Shrews with James Best and Ingrid Good, motion picture horror masterpiece. The Killer Shrews. Hey, like I said, there's no wrong answers, yeah, man. Mine. No wrong answers. All right, card number... Oh, wow. Oh. Card number two. Billy the Kid versus Dracula or Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter, Tom. Oh, I, I haven't seen these movies in so long. <laughs> what was the first one? Billy the Kid versus Dracula or Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter. A couple of William Bodine cheapy horror westerns. One starring John Carradine. I'll take the first one. <laughs> Billy, Billy Kid versus Dracula. Yeah, sure. John Carradine in the Dracula role on that. I think it was only about 15 years ago I saw that one. So. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, card number three. Give me an easy one. Give me something that I can... All right, all right. Well, how about this? Card number three. Okay, I'm ready. What classic monster movie needs a prequel? Alien. No, we already went to have this conversation. <laughs> um, a prequel... What what kind of monster? Giant monster? No, just monster movie. Whatever, whatever, whatever monster movie. Maybe uh, how about Monster of the Piedras Blancas? Ooh! Famous Monsters of Hollywood magazine names it Shock Award winner. 
The Monster of Piedras Blancas. The Monster of Piedras Blancas, the world's most shocking monster, stalks its unsuspecting prey, feasts its eyes on the next victim to writhe in its slimy arms. The screen's most nightmarish beast. A claw-fingered, scaly-skinned, half-human crustacean, turning a lonely lighthouse village into a frenzied bedlam of blood-curdling horror. Never have you known such cringing terror, such... ...drawn by love to the forbidden cove of the sea monster, then trapped in a torment of unendurable suspense. In the screen monsterama of a thousand incredible... See the movie named the most brain-paralyzing shock story of them all, The Monster of Piedras Blancas. Oh, I love that movie. I have a press book up in my office I'm looking at right now, and that reminded me of that. That would be interesting. That would be really cool. To see how the thing came about and... Ooh, that'd be fun. I, I fun, Somebody fund that prequel. I want to see it. <laughs> Just don't make it a CGI mess. Okay. Oh. <laughs> All right, card number four. Tom, what is your go-to film to introduce someone to classic monster movies? Mm. Well, if I was going to introduce somebody, maybe Bride of Frankenstein. Ooh. Just because it's so good. Yeah. And just, I don't know how to what to say, Derek. No, that's actually a good one. I, I've asked that question of people before, and Bride of Frankenstein comes up over and over and over again. Really? Yeah, well, it's practically got it all it's got the monster it's got the music it's got the shadows it's got the direction it's got the characters the performances it's pretty much the perfect distillation of classic monsters if you ask me oh wait a minute could i change my answer Uh oh <laughs> horror of the blood monsters oh okay <laughs> no right. no brighter frank <laughs> and with that bit of foreshadowing well we'll <laughs> All right, we got one more card, one more question. Then we'll get to Horror of the Blood Monsters. One more question. Tom, what classic monster movie that you've only seen on TV or VHS or DVD would you want to see on the big screen? I'd say The Creature, but thankfully they've done a lot of screenings on the big screen of The Creature. Yeah, they have. Um, well, I've never seen Forbidden Planet on the big screen. Oh, neither have I. I bet that would be gorgeous. That's a, such a classic. The colors in there, too. Yeah. Mm. Imagine yourself as one of the crew of this faster-than-light spaceship of the future, sharing their curiosity to know the unknown, their tension, their readiness for inconceivable adventures. Sir, we're being radar scanned. United Planets Cruiser C-57D, J.J. Adams commanding. Who are you? Morbius of the Bellerophon. Well, Dr. Morbius, my orders are to survey the situation on Altair IV. Commander, if you sat down on this planet, I warn you that I cannot be answerable for the safety of your ship or your crew. When you reach the Forbidden Planet, you will meet Dr. Morbius, played by Walter Pigeon. The Doctor is sole owner of this fabulous world. Anne Francis is his alluring daughter, Alta, who has never seen a young man till she meets Commander Adams, Played by talented Leslie Nielsen. Come on in. Didn't bring my bathing suit. 
What's a bathing suit? Oh, murder. You will meet a charming character in The Robot, able to produce, on order, ten tons of lead or a slinky evening gown. Always at your service. It must be the loveliest, softest thing you've ever made for me. And fit in all the right places, with lots and lots of star sapphires. Star sapphires take a week to crystallize properly. Would diamond or emeralds do? You explore all the wonders of a vanished civilization. You travel deep down into the heart of the forbidden planet to discover the incredible marvels of this lost genius race. These magnificent scenes in striking Eastman color stagger the imagination. 20 miles. Look down, gentlemen, are you afraid? 7,800 levels. Yet the wonders of the planet Altair IV conceal a strange and evil force, unknown, irresistible. Wow, good answer. I know there's no right or wrong answers here, but Tom, that's the right answer. Thank you. I was practicing that one. Yeah? All right. <laughs> you, you, wait a minute. You didn't get these questions beforehand, did you? There's no like... <laughs> yeah, Brenda faxed them to me. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> well, Tom mentioned it a second ago. Uh, apparently, his... One of his go-to monster movies introduced people to classic monster films. Wow. Come into the cave of the bat demons. They are waiting for you. They are longing for your blood. They hope you'll drop in to join them in horror of the blood monsters. A new, a ghastly journey into the weird world of the undead. You will feel your flesh crawl and tingle as creeping creatures slither out of the night to satisfy their unholy cravings. But I warn you, don't come to see horror of the blood monsters alone. Bring a friend. Bring a fiend. Bring your nerve. Horror of the blood monsters in weird color. Rated G. Horror of the Blood Monsters. Uh, it's from 1970, and it stars one of the kind of sort of icons of classic horror. Uh, he came up a second ago talking about Billy the Kid versus Dracula. John Carradine. Probably on set for a day or two, and that's it. But he's in the film. He is playing Dr. Reining. And he's kind of a little poop in this. But anyway, we'll get into it. <laughs> Oh, yeah? He yeah. is a little, um, you got away without doing a blood test, young lady, kind of. Yeah. He's a little demeaning to his crew, his highly trained crew. Yeah. But I don't know if we want to talk a little bit about how this kind of movie came about first, you know? Yeah, we, we should. I'd like to talk about just what the movie is. It's the first time we've properly talked about an Al Adamson film. On Monster Kid Radio. I mean, in depth. I've almost, I try to mention Dracula versus Frankenstein as much as I can because I love that one. But Al Adamson, what, what an interesting guy. And <laughs> this movie, how did it come about, man? Well, this is a <laughs> – I do want to say one thing first. Okay. If we're a little critical because this is, you know, it's just a cheapie they threw together, this movie. Mm -hmm. But I want everybody to know I love this movie. <laughs> 
Oh, yes. This is, this is one of the ones my, uh, if you look into the archives, you'll see that uh, my dad used to take me to the drive-in uh, when I was probably 10, 11 years old. And this, I remember, was one of the ones him and I saw back then, probably in its maybe original release of the drive-in. Or Oh, wow. And, and it, it, it made such an impression on me that uh, I've just loved this movie since then, even though I know what it is, but it, it doesn't change how I feel. So if we're a little critical, I just want people to know that it's... You know, that's the thing, though. I mean, we might laugh a little bit about the low budget or, or that sort of thing, but we're not... We're not demeaning the film. We're just accepting what it is and enjoying the heck out of it anyway. That's the way it should be. Yes. Okay. Both being fans of Al Adamson, we know that his <laughs> is a flair for low-budget, highly entertaining movies. I actually saw a little 10-minute documentary or interview with Sam Sherman. And that's one of the first things he says is that Al Adamson always just wanted to make movies that were entertaining. Mm -hmm. and, and this one, I mean, it is. <laughs> it is entertaining. It came right in the middle of the Holy Trinity where you had one of the best-named movies, Satan Sadus, in 1969, <laughs> followed by this in 1970. And then 71, your personal, one of your personal favorites, correct? Dracula versus Frankenstein. I love Dracula versus <laughs> Frankenstein so much. I, I know, I know, but I love it so much. So watching this movie when it kicks off and it's got all that vampire stuff with the music, I'm thinking that's music that turned back up in Dracula versus Frankenstein. It felt right at home for me. Mm -hmm. Now, when we look at the production of the movie, though, not all of it was shot by Al Adamson. A lot of it was, I guess, repurposed footage from a Filipino caveman film called Tagani? Correct. Or its alternate title. I found almost nothing about this movie. I tried to look it up and see if I could find, you know, somewhere on YouTube or somewhere or anything about it. The only thing I found was, well, there's a trailer on the DVD for it. For Tagani? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, it had an alternate title of Flight of the Crab Monsters for some reason. Oh, okay. But it, it, it has some amazing creatures in it that starts with snake people with snakes coming out of their shoulders which was kind of cool yeah i thought that was actually pretty neat then they had the vampires yeah i like the bat people in the caves quite a bit was that from tagani or was that all that something the, only, the only parts that were not from tagani were where characters from the footage al filmed had to mesh with that so there was a couple scenes where a caveman is chasing one of the lead characters. So they had to film that just to tie the two together. Gotcha. But basically anything with monsters in it, any of the <laughs> other amazing footage of dinosaurs wrestling. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> that was all inserted. <laughs> yeah. Now somebody might be watching Tagani and think, wait a minute, this is a, or, or look into it and think, well, wait a minute, this is a black and white movie, but horror of the blood monsters is in color. How'd they get around that? <laughs> well, well, that's part of the history. I guess, um, from what Sam was saying, Al went to some studios with footage from Tagani, uh -huh. which is in black and white. And he showed it to these studio bosses. He said, this has everything in it. It has vampire men, it has lobster men, it has 
bat creatures. It has production values. You know, being the mid '60s, these guys said, "Well, it's it's in black and white. We can't, you know, we can't really show it in black and white." Al said, "Well, you could tint it," and again, that didn't seem to fly too well with these guys. So, I think basically he shifted from getting financing there to basically going with uh, Sam and just doing it on their own. Right. You know, for what it is, and this is perhaps the the DIY lover in me you know the guy who thought he was going to make movies when he grew up that sort of thing seeing the work around i love that and they even have that one scene later on in the film where they're talking about why the color of the sky might change or why mm-hmm. you know i know it's a little ham-fisted but i love it i just love that aesthetic and hey it works for me and that's actually part of the tale of the making of this because i think initially they wanted to have all the footage on the alien planet all be red, mm-hmm. and they tinted it all red. And then they had some test screenings, and and Sam made a comment about ice train, <laughs> and, and and evidently it sounds like looking at a screen with red all the time over an extended period of time mm-hmm. actually causes a lot of eye fatigue. Oh. So they couldn't do it that way. So they decided to <laughs> instead tint it in a variety of colors. Still with, I think they said the vampire scenes were still red, but then with other colors interspersed to give your eye a break from the whole thing. Uh, okay. Well, that makes sense, I suppose. Well, and again, they, they make it make sense without very obviously inserted scene. <laughs> <laughs> Here, I'm going to show you how the colors change. <laughs> All right. And that was that was filmed. This was a long process for this movie because Tagani was filmed in 65. Right. A lot of the principal photography for, I think, with John Carradine and, and the stuff on the planet and then the spaceship, I think was filmed around 66. And it sounds like it just kind of languished because Sam was saying in the commentary that about 69, I think, they shot some extra footage mm-hmm. to make things make sense. And then they came out in 70. So it must have just kind of sat around for quite a few years. But evidently, the amazing sex scene, <laughs> that was filmed right before release. And they had to do that, well, to explain to audiences why the colors were changing all the time. <laughs> I prefer making love the old-fashioned way. <laughs> Well, all right then. So do I, doll. I don't know what the, what the line was, but it's pretty, um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, for the, for the fans out there, they're, they're kind of hugging and they have electrodes <laughs> attached to their foreheads, to their uh, temples. Right. And there's a bizarre, uh, phallic, <laughs> multicolored light bulb display. Yeah, there's like a little light show going. I don't know if that's the sex machine. But evidently, from what I understand, that was repurposed in Frankenstein or uh, Dracula versus Frankenstein. That would make sense. And especially knowing that Adamson and Sherman and is it International Independent? Independent International? Whichever the group. I mix the words up sometimes. (laughs) Whoever it was, they were all about making these movies on the cheap. And, uh, you know, if you can recycle something, go for it. If, if you can create a set that doesn't have a back to it at all. <laughs> and I'm referring to the uh, the space station, I, or not the space station, ground control, where 
when you've got the actors' backs to you, I mean, it's, it's kind of impressive for what it is. But every time mm-hmm. you do a shot of their face, it's just black behind mm-hmm. them. That's like, come, that just seems okay. Well, we're going for the Ed Wood aesthetic here, but you know they're trying so hard. So good for them. Well, certainly more than I've ever done. I've never got any movies released to thousands of drive-ins. So more power to them. Hey, you know what? It worked. Yep. They, they sold the picture. The company didn't go out of business, so they had success. Good for them. Yep. You know, and, and here we are talking about it, what, a good 40-plus years later? That's right. And not just because Carradine's in it, although he's a big part of it for sure. Do you know how Carradine got involved? Actually, I don't. Okay. Do you? I don't, um, although he never really met a script he didn't like, or at least a paycheck he didn't like. <laughs> so, you know, if he was available and they, they, I mean, he did some pretty low budget stuff in the sixties and seventies, uh, including Billy the kid versus Dracula. And, uh, you know, a few other things here and there, he was on Astro zombies. So, I mean, it's, as long as you paid him, I'm sure he'd show up, but oh yeah, I, I do suspect that his stuff was shot over the course of a very, very short period of time. Oh, I would imagine. And again, they explain why he can't go out of the ship. So he's got to keep him in one spot and he's chewing it. I like him. He's he's acting. <laughs> he uh he liked the set. He liked to chew that scenery. <laughs> That's one thing I enjoy about it is just the <laughs> ludicrous science <laughs> he, he spouts. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you know about the like what are the examples of they're they're out of rocket fuel. Yep. So they go with two five gallon cans <laughs> to get to get fire water out of the cave where they meet the amazing <laughs> bat creatures the flying bat creatures which which i what was one of my favorite scenes actually all the all the creature scenes are my favorites they're a lot of fun and i actually for what it is i really enjoyed those bat creatures those bat people and i thought they looked really good the way they would fall from the ceiling which great but then to have them mm-hmm. you know on the ground moving around and all that i thought the suits looked awesome yeah i think they did a pretty good job you know i they held up i, I dug it and just that whole sequence had that sense of, even though, again, we know it's low budget, it still had this sense of kind of like a an epic claustrophobia as they're trying to get through them. I really dug it. Mm-hmm. And even the lobster men, you know, they didn't put up a much of a fight, but they were cool to look at. Yeah. The big claws and antennae. Yep. You know, all the creatures of this, all the humanoids of this world are actually pretty cool. I yeah. mean, even even the vampires which are not the bat creatures. I thought it was cool that they, you know, they just had huge fangs, cheap fangs, but I like the fact that they had uh, wristlets and around their ankles where they had fangs attached to them. Yeah. <laughs> they could take it. And, and there was one scene. It was pretty, it wasn't graphic, but where he rips the, some guy's neck and down the front of his chest to, to feed on him. Yeah. It was, it was pretty intense. You know, for what it is, for what we're getting here, it is the 70s. It's the drive-in. So, of course, we're going to kind of blood it up a little bit. But even though it's not super bloody, it's still pretty, uh, I don't know, is gruesome the best way to put it? Mm, yeah. Shocking. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. What, what's the movie poster say here? <laughs> You'll scream yourself into a state of shock when you see Horror of the Blood Monsters. And the poster's kind of cool. Have you seen the poster? Yeah, I have. Do you have the poster? No, I don't have the poster. <laughs> we need to get some lobby cards and stuff for this one because I, I bet it's <laughs> just be fun to look at. Although it's probably all tinted in red and green. Mm. Now it's a fun little film. Um, you know, they took all the footage, and this is something that 
Adamson has done before. I mean, there's stuff from Dracula versus Frankenstein that was not intended for Dracula versus Frankenstein that, that turns up in the film. You know, if you have the footage, recycle it, use it. If you Certainly. find a movie you can buy on the cheap, buy it and recycle it. He's not the only filmmaker who did that. Roger Corman used to do it. If it works, man, I'd love to see Tagani just by itself, just to see, I don't know, those creatures again in black and white. I wonder how they look in black and white. That would be interesting. I'd like to go back, maybe watch this movie in black and white and see how it holds up. Yeah, that's true. I guess Sam was saying the original Tagani was mainly just more about the Tagani tribe and the daily life. Hmm. So it sounds like maybe they called most of the good scenes. Oh, out of okay. It. There's more, it may make it a little more. <laughs> you know well <laughs> not so action-packed yeah but that's all right if you can find it i mean i look i'll keep you posted even i think sam said on the commentary that he doesn't know if there's a print of it anywhere i don't think well at least there's a trailer we'll, we'll look at the trailer there you go you know we're talking about Carradine being in this movie he's our big name but he's not really the lead who is the lead this is a tough one because uh, it really is because you've got Robert Dix as Dr. Manning. He's the other big name on the poster. And then the female lead, Vicky Volante. She, she's not the cave woman, though. But they're back in, in mission control. Yeah, they're back. Yeah, they're not the ones out on the planet. Out on the planet, you've got like Willie and Steve and Bob. You know, great names to keep them straight. <laughs> you know, Steve, Bob, Willie. And then our cave woman, who I believe was played by Jennifer Bishop. Correct. Okay. Do we know much about her? Uh, she had a decent career, really. She did some TV. Um, she was on Hee Haw for a few episodes, oh. one of my favorites. People write this down. This is the first time and probably the only time <laughs> Hee Haw gets mentioned on Monster Kid Radio. <laughs> and uh, she did a few. She, I guess she was in Blood of Dracula's Castle. Okay. Um, and she was in a movie called Bigfoot. Oh, which sounds interesting. I think it does it have John Carradine in it. It's from 1970. It's on Amazon. Uh, if you have Amazon Prime, okay. It's a low. I don't know in much about it except it's on Amazon Prime. It's from 1970. It's supposed to be Bigfoot kidnaps a lady, and a group of bikers go after him to save her. Oh, so I <laughs> so <it sounds> cool. <laughs> I know. I I think I know this movie. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> if, if it's what I think it is, oh, and it is. I'm looking at the movie poster right now. Bigfoot breeds with anything is what it says on the poster. <laughs> yep, that's that movie. And mm -hmm. you're right. So you saw it. Uh, I've seen the movie poster, and the Joy Cinema does play it every once in a while. I've not been able to get out to see it when they play it, but they have played it every once in a while. I, I keep meaning to watch it at some point. Well, not the ratings or everything, but doesn't it get like a 2.4 or yeah, something? Yeah, probably. <laughs> now, she was also in uh, The Female Bunch with Lon Chaney. Mm. And her last film credit, if I'm looking at this correctly, and I mean, not that we want to just sit here and make this the IMDb cast, but according to the IMDb, her last film credit was Mako, The Jaws of Death. Oh, yeah. From 1976. I started watching a couple minutes of that uh, last night. There was the, it's on YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, I guess it has Richard Jekyll in it. Yes. Yeah. 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 I just saw a couple seconds of it, but I'm, I may check it out later. Yeah. It's a, a William Graffay film, and William Graffay is the man behind The Sting of Death. Oh. And uh, I know 
I like the sting of death. I assume you like the sting of death. Who wouldn't like the sting of death? I think you're the one that actually turned me on to the <laughs> oh, sting maybe. of death, now that I think about it. I've had it for a long time. <laughs> yeah, the sting of death is good. So, Jellyfish, giant jellyfish. That's right, and the death curse of Tartu, man. <laughs> Have you seen the documentary about William Graffet? No, I haven't. Oh, there's a really good documentary that Daniel Griffith put out, I think a year or two ago. If you can get your hands on it, I'd recommend it, my friend. Ah, it's, cool. It's good I'll stuff. Check it, out. I'll check it out. Anyway. So, welcome to the William Griffey podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be confused with the IMDb podcast that we were just... <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, let's get back to Horror of the Blood Monsters. An hour and a half of adventure and fun. Uh, screaming yourself into a state of shock. The movie starts with this vampire sequence. Now, this was stuff that Adamson shot himself. I mean, this isn't from something else, I'm assuming. No, he shot it. Evidently, this is another thing they shot late. Okay. Um, Sam said he needed something to set up the vampires on Earth. Because they, they had all the footage of with John Carradine and everything else. But they said they needed something to set up the vampires on Earth. So Al went out in the night and filmed... A variety of <laughs> scenes with vampires attacking. He sent it to Sam and he put it together to what we have now. But you know, that would be fun. You know, to be the second unit director on a movie like this and just to go out with the director one night and just shoot a bunch of vampire stuff. That would be a blast. <laughs> That's the kind of thing I'd do in my spare time just because <laughs> no. And Al is Al Adamson is one of the vampires. In the uh, the prologue, I had heard that, but I couldn't point him out or pick him out. Could you? Yeah. Oh, okay. He was a, he was the one with the big sideburns. <laughs> he looked good. <laughs> big sideburns, big fangs. Right on. And this goes on with that Dracula versus Frankenstein music that I love so much, and it just goes on for what a good five ten minutes setting up vampires are bad. This is I don't know what else to say. <laughs> <laughs> the voiceover by Brother Theodore. That's right, yeah. Which I mainly just remember from what Letterman. He was on Letterman all the time, and I remember him from. Didn't he do Laugh In? Did he do Laugh In? I thought he did. I could be wrong. And the Burbs. I remember oh, him from the Burbs. The Burbs, such a great <laughs> underrated Joe Dante film. Yeah. No, you're right. It is his voice, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The two, but then vampires. <laughs> I wonder how much they had to pay him to do it. But, the, you know, that's one thing about this movie, and I, I, I'm, you know, not being critical, but that's one of the things that it's so hard to put together what's going on. Because if you listen to the prologue, it says these vampires have been on Earth for millions of years, and we have secret missions going to their home planet to try to figure out how to stop them, right? Sure. <laughs> that's what they say. <laughs> but then it's it's almost like, they wrote pieces of the script at different times, and they they figured, well, should we read what happened? Uh, just write a scene that, <laughs> that fits in Because <laughs> it just kind of fits together oddly in many ways. So it, It's this weird setup that really doesn't have a payoff, but uh, you do what you got to do, I guess. Yeah. But it sets up and that they're, you know, we're ready to take off on a mission somewhere, and then we're transported to mission control. Uh, which is the most amazing half set I've ever seen. 
<laughs> it is pretty. Yeah. It is pretty cheap. But you know, again, so what? It's so fun. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I. You know, and they knew what they were doing. They didn't think they were making a big budget movie. They were just taking little bits and you know fitting it together to come out with something that people would want to see at the at the drive-in. Right. Again, make it make it entertaining. That's mm-hmm. all you got to do is make it entertaining, you know? And again, here we are talking about it so many years later. So yeah, it's definitely entertaining. It made a mark on you. Mm-hmm. You know, you saw it at the drive-in. Was that here in Oregon or? Yeah, I, I've lived in Oregon my whole life. But yeah, the uh, drive-in was, boy, that's that was probably my first, you know, when I was probably 10 to 12-ish. Mm-hmm. That was my first experience with a lot of the Hammer Horror I saw the Dracula and Frankenstein movies at the drive-in with my dad. I oh. saw a lot of Godzilla movies. Oh man! Um, I saw some of these exploitation-y movies. So it was a you know, and for me as a kid, you know, my dad worked two jobs and he didn't do a lot with the family. He was kind of the provider type. So doing that with him really was special for you know. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Kid I my bet. age. Staying up till <laughs> one o'clock in the morning, watching a triple feature at the drive-in. I mean, it's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, it sounds fun. That's that's the kind of thing that, yeah, I would love to just go do now. I'm just, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. oh man. And you saw this one on the big screen, man. That's that's amazing. I, I don't know if I envy you or not. <laughs> that's not true. I'd love to see this on the big screen just to and they have that music blaring in from a little speaker on the window. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's the way it was. Nice. Do we want to talk at all about the story here? I mean, it's not a very heavy or in-depth story. It's we run around on a planet with some cavemen and get involved in a fight with them. It's it's pretty <laughs> pretty basic. Basically, yeah. I mean, and again, like as I mentioned, it doesn't really fit in with the prologue. It's it's it seemed like they were going to this planet, then they got knocked off course, right. but then they ended up on the planet anyway. <laughs> To find out about these creatures, and I don't know if we're going to get into all the particulars, what happens. Or- you know, I, I kind of lost track of who was running around outside on the planet. <laughs> and I think part of it's because of the color, you know, the way they did the color. And mm-hmm. we don't have mm-hmm. a lot of close-ups out here. Were they shooting at the Vasquez rocks? Yes, they were. Because it, it looked a lot like Kirk and the Gorn, you know? It looked a lot like that <laughs> sequence. So I was expecting that. So, Okay. Well, good to know that um, I know my rocks, I guess. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but what do you want to say about the story, the plot? <laughs> I don't know where to go with that. We could just real quick. They land. Mm-hmm. John Carradine has a minor heart attack, which ex- explains why he can't get off the ship. Right. Um, so he stays on board. Yeah, it's really, I mean, they meet the gal, Leanne. Lion? Leanne? And I like the way they can perform uh, field brain surgery on her to install the communicator. Right? <laughs> it's no big deal. John Carradine says it's no big deal. Yeah, it's real <laughs> easy. Just do this, do that, and okay. Make the incision. <laughs> Man, that's um, – all right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'm glad they addressed that, though, because that's that's one of the things about a lot of these movies, I feel like. Uh, it's hard to figure out or explain why the aliens can understand English or vice versa. So at least they gave us a reason as to why. Mm-hmm. At least we had that. Field surgery to install it. 
with Carradine telling you what to do over the phone, basically, yeah, I don't know <laughs> if that's really the most realistic. But at least they gave us that. You know, they're thinking. Mm-hmm. They're trying so, to tie it up. Yeah. So I dig that. Yeah. And, and we learn about the conflict between the different tribes. And, mm-hmm. and these cavemen are pretty sophisticated. They're throwing fireballs at each other. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, nice touch, right? Because when I mean, you think cavemen and that sort of thing, I mean, you think bows and arrow spirits, that's what you get. But here they are with these balls of fire swinging mm-hmm. around and throwing at each other. I mean, that's that's some, that's some next, next level or something. That, again, good production values on that Philippine movie. Right. Which now, the more that we talk about it, I want to see it. <laughs> and then what? They go and they look and they, I, I mean, there's really not a lot to it. Don't they just, they need gas to get off the, the planet ultimately. Right. We see some other, you know, we see the lobster men. It's just kind of a scene with the Tagani. It doesn't really fit into the story with the crew or anything. So it really doesn't. And that's why I want to see the film, the original film to see if they're kind of tied in a little bit more. See if there's more to it. Well, you think there'd have to be. Yeah. Not everybody has Al Adamson's deaf touch. <laughs> the world will never see a filmmaker <laughs> like him again. I'll tell you, <laughs> you know, we we're joking here and I know I've got listeners out there. I'm specifically thinking of Rod Barnett from the Nashi cast who has given me grief over the years about Al Adamson. I think Steven Sullivan has done it as well. You know, irregardless of what the film turned out to be, the guy made movies. The guy was successful enough to keep making movies and darn it, I can't help but think he had fun making these movies. So good for him. Mm-hmm. Good for him. Even if the plot's very thin and can be summed up in about five to ten minutes. Because ultimately, the crew needs to get their hands on the fire water, mm-hmm. which they decide is some sort of crude oil that they can somehow turn into a coolant for their spaceship. And ten gallons should do it. Right. That could get you back to Earth pretty easy. Yeah, ten gallons of coolant. That's all you need. I don't know why you're making fun of that, Tom. It's pretty. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, that's just science. That's right. <laughs> and his amazing distilling unit he set up, which is like four beakers and some rubber tube. <laughs> He's John Carradine. And when it comes to mad scientist stuff, I trust that man. Sure. <laughs> I've seen the Astro Zombies. I know what he can do. Oh, man. Yeah, it, it's not a very heavy movie. I mean, you do have this whole everybody's dying because. You know, your red blood cell count is down, but, oh, we'll be okay as soon as we get off planet. No big deal. Yeah, that's... <laughs> why, why did he even bring that up? <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, again, why it just seems like it was written in different pieces, because, yeah, they're, they're, most of them, a, a couple, who got killed? Do we know? Well, I guess it doesn't matter. One guy got, <laughs> one guy got snuffed. <laughs> one guy didn't make it. One guy got stabbed by one of the... Uh, was he the one that kept complaining of migraines? No, I think that was Willie. Wasn't that Willie that had the migraines? He came back. Okay. I honestly don't remember. Maybe it was Bruce. Uh, it doesn't matter, really. Bob. Joe. Bob. Joe. <laughs> yeah, no, somebody does die, and somebody does have to, um, I don't know, fall victim to this... Uh, he gets stabbed with a spear, right? Is that what happens? Yes. Right yeah. through the armpit. <laughs> you know, again, I'm laughing. There are some pretty decent shots, and I'm sure this is from the original film, where there's that large caveman running around and he gets shot by the arrows. Mm-hmm. Now, 
I appreciate how clever they are in terms of making it look like people are getting shot with the arrows. Because a lot of times it's you show the one shot or you have the one shot of the guy firing the arrow. And then you cut to a close-up of the guy getting hit. And I'm assuming you know and most people know that in that situation what you do is you've already got the arrow and the guy you know, as a prop. Then you say action and he reacts to getting shot. And the way you cut it together makes it look like he actually got hit, even though in reality it's always been in him the whole time. And they do that a couple of times in this film and it looks great. But then there's that one large guy that's coming through the rocks and he gets shot a couple of times and you see the arrow actually go in. And obviously they didn't shoot a guy for real, but it's, again, good production. There's a couple of sound effects that make it sound really good. I really respected it and and reacted well to it good for them. And and I don't know if that was Adamson cutting it or if it came from the original film. Again, I got to see it. I got to track it down. A lot of the original footage was, I mean, the way they filmed it, the angles, the, there's, there was some skill there. There is. By, by ever who directed that film. Now there are also shots from other films in this, uh, 1 million BC in the unknown Island film also has a few cuts uh, taken from their films and put into here. And I'm, I'm guessing the dinosaur quote unquote dinosaur stuff comes from 1 million BC where they have the, the lizards kind of fighting each other. And, mm-hmm. and honestly, as an animal lover, that kind of stuff always makes me cringe a little bit. Cause I, I don't want to think about what they did to those lizards to make them fight each other like that. Well, that or the elephant, which I think was from the Philippines. You, the, the elephant looked like it. it yeah. I don't know if they glued stuff onto it. I mean, that's what I worry about too when I see that kind of stuff because it's a, it's a full sized elephant in this one scene, and it looks like it was some of the Filipino footage. But it, you know, I'm worried that they it looks all hairy because they're trying to make it look like a mammoth. But I worry they just put glue on it and then put a bunch of hair on it. And that that that's the kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's a different time, and unfortunately, that's you know Hollywood had a different, or not even Hollywood filmmaking in general had a different approach toward Mm -hmm. animal safety and and you know you do see that in a couple of movies i mean you talked about uh, the killer shrews earlier and all this and how they look like dogs with blankets on them and that's what they are but i don't think they glued them down to the dogs or anything just kind of strapped them on and called it good which you can do and Mm -hmm. that's that's a lot more humane than stapling a fin to the back of a lizard which they've done in different movies in the past to make it look like a dinosaur and that's that's terrible anyway Mm-hmm. Okay, off the soapbox, off the soapbox. Ugh. We love animals. Okay, All right. moving on. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Back to 1 million BC and Unknown Island. Have you seen those movies at all? Uh, 1 million BC, certainly. Unknown Island. I don't know if I have or not, Derek. Okay, uh, 1 million BC, not the Hammer version, but the uh, 1940 film. Yeah, with Lon Chaney Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a Hal Roach production, uh, but, which I have seen at least once. Victor Matures in that as well. Unknown Island is... It's the one with the men in the dinosaur suits with the little skimpy arms. <laughs> okay. Uh, Richard Denning's in it. So I have seen that. You know, I'm a big Denning fan, but, you know, creature. So it all goes back to creature. There's my creature connection. I just, I just connected Horror of the Blood Monsters to Creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> wow. There's an Italian version of the movie called seven for infinity against space monsters wow and apparently it also brings in some footage from a british tv show called ufo from 1970 ah i had heard about the italian version i knew it had added some kind of space battles i guess there's more space battley stuff in the italian version which i've not seen i have a lead on it 
Ah. So I, I may try to get my hands on it. I wanted to try to get my hands on it before we started chatting about this, but I just, no luck. But uh, UFO, that's the Jerry Anderson series, I believe. So, you know, it's got some cool space stuff in it that's right in line with an Al Adamson feature film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if anybody's seen that, I'd love to hear about it or, or know where I can get my hands on it, except that, that'd be fun. Anyway, that's a shorter version of the film, but it's got different footage in it. So hmm. might be kind of fun to check out. I love that there's a commentary track on this film. <laughs> of all movies to have a commentary track, this has one. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I think Franken- Dracula versus Frankenstein has one too, doesn't it? I do not know. I haven't listened to the commentary track, and I have a the DVD, but I. Mm-hmm. And it's a commentary with Sherman, who fortunately is still with us. Yeah, Al uh, uh, had an untimely death. Yeah. Which uh, sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we should just say he was murdered. And uh, his body was missing for a little while. It was found under uh, a hot tub, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. His his live-in contractor, sounds like. Yeah. Well, he must have done it. He's, he's in prison. So. Yeah, he was found guilty. It's been covered on the Discovery Channel or one of those ID, Investigative Discovery Channels programs, like three times. <laughs> so, mm. it's you know, you can find stories about it if you go look for it. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Um, yeah. You know, nobody... Deserves to be murdered anyway, but yeah, just kind of messed up. Yeah. Rest in peace. We'll just leave it at that. This one's for you, Al. Yep. And then basically the movie just what? They say they're going to be okay. Everybody else on the planet's going to die. <laughs> right. Right. They say it's too late for them, which again, I don't understand how this fits into the Tubitan vampires that have infected Earth. I, I just, and then they leave. Yep, and then that's it. Yep. We're done. <laughs> Movie's <laughs> over. Go home, everybody. Maybe that's where the UFO footage turned up, is, is some of that. Who knows? Maybe. Boy, I'd be curious to see the other cut. Yeah, now I want to see it badly. Yeah, I know what I'm going to be doing when we're done recording. I'm <laughs> trying to find it again. Yeah, it just kind of ends. And you've got your end credit sequence, and uh, that's really short. And that's it. Yep. Move on to the next film, I guess. You know, again, you said at the very beginning of this. We may sound like we're kind of talking down about the movie because it's low budget and it's got all these shortcomings. I had a blast watching this movie. It is so goofy and over the top and I just had so much fun watching it. It put a big old smile on my face. And to me, you know, that's my litmus test. Did it make me smile? Well, Mm -hmm. there we go. I'm in. I'm all in. Besides, how often do you get to see a movie shot in Spectrum X, a new dimension in terror, (laughs) right? Swept the nation. (laughs) (laughs) You learn anything new about the movie while you watch it this time for the show? Well, about the only other little uh, nugget would be that I guess, you know, it's been released more than once on VHS and uh, maybe once or twice on DVD. Initially, it, it played the drive-in circuit, and then it actually got sold to TV. So okay. it must have been on TV for a while, though I don't remember seeing it, but maybe. But when it sold to TV, they didn't like blood in the title. Okay. So they decided to change it to Vampire Man of the Lost Planet. Okay. That got rid of the blood so they could release it. And then when it was re-released again in 77 or 78, they changed the title again to Space Mission to the Lost Planet. Okay. 
And Sam said they released it again because of Star the craze for Star Wars. <laughs> well. And they said, well, everybody's loving space. You got Star Wars, so let's put it out. We'll put put more space in it. <laughs> People will, you know, think, wow, it's space. It's got space and creatures. It's just like Star Wars. So let's go see it. Just like Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> but that's an example of creative advertising and stuff. Creative marketing. <laughs> I don't know why. But that is so... <laughs> just like star wars oh i didn't know that that's um all right there you go <laughs> all right i'm i'm back in control okay uh, <laughs> derek derek okay <laughs> I, I, I'm good. I'm sorry. I don't know why I find that utterly because I know they had that big craze, you know, with Star Wars coming out. Everybody's like, Roger Corman makes Battle Beyond the it was a Battle Beyond the Planets, Beyond the Stars. I mean, I get it, but this is not one that I would think. Hey, no. <laughs> what about that Star Wars? Hey, we got that one movie with John Carradine in space. Let's run that. Oh, I'm crying here, man. Oh. Well, I know I'm going to watch this movie again, maybe as a double feature with Star Wars. Just to- <laughs> <laughs> There you go. <laughs> oh, man. I-, I would probably have to run this. I don't know. What would you run second if you did a, uh, a double feature with Star Wars? This one or Star Wars? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I-, I don't know, man. <laughs> See, I'm... <laughs> what were you about to say? I don't know. Uh, you have this on DVD. It's got the commentary track. I wonder if it's still in print. That I don't know. I, I hope so because I need this movie in my life. You don't have a you don't have a copy. I unfortunately had to find it through other means. Oh. Uh, somebody did upload it to YouTube, and I really kind of hate doing that. Yeah. Just because you know I want to make sure the rights holders get what they sure. can, but you know I just I didn't have access to it. So yeah. um, I'm pretty sure Amazon has it. Okay. Pretty sure. So. But yeah, one of my favorite uh, guilty pleasures. I've probably seen it a dozen times since I was a kid. And, and you watched it with your wife, mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. Mona, the other day, right? That's, uh, what does she think of the movie? <laughs> well, <laughs> let's. She didn't see it when she was a child with her dad. Uh, she thought it was okay. <laughs> you know, it's you know. Yeah, I, I don't think this is one I'd show Brenda yeah, and, and and try to get her hooked on these types no. of movies. It's fun, but it, you know, it has to it has to tug at your heart to like it. This just does for me. I, I think so. I think that's a big part of it. I mean, nostalgia comes into a lot of play when it comes to these types of movies for people, right? And even though I didn't see this originally when it grew up, I I do feel a sense of instant nostalgia when I watch a movie like this. Just like, oh, I get it, and I understand it, and I would have loved this as a kid. So that's my connection to movies like mm-hmm. this. I, I envy people like you, Tom. Oh, yeah, I saw this at the drive-in with a double feature with two Hammer movies. And it's like, man, that's awesome. You know, that's the experience. That card that I have in the, the Classic Five about what movie would you want to see on the big screen, that's where that came from, is just having this almost lust to be able to see these movies on the big mm-hmm. screen, you know, the first time around. I mean, I imagine this one as silly as parts of it is as, as goofy as parts of it is would have been a blast to see. 
you know, on the big screen, run through a projector, maybe looking a little scratchy here and there. <laughs> you know, it would just add to the charm. Mm-hmm. I would love to see a movie like this, like that. Well, that's what Mona and I talk about. She's a massive creature from the Black Lagoon fan, and she always says, "Boy, it would be so much fun to go back." To the premiere of the creature, oh god! You know, yes. with all the people and the standees there, and all the posters and the yeah. just the first time it's been uh, be just an amazing thrill. Yeah, it would be amazing. I would I would love to do it. And I've said it before, and I'm sure listeners have heard it, me say it on the show. If I had a time machine, man, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'd be doing with it. Yeah, going back and you know killing Hitler, whatever. That's fine. Yeah, <laughs> but when I'm done, I'll, I'll go watch. <laughs> creature at the at the world premiere you know mm-hmm. that'd be amazing or or, or the phantom of the, the original phantom of the opera to be in the audience the first time he, he pulls that mask or gets a mask pulled off mm. and people see that oh wow how amazing would that be oh wow somebody make a time machine for us damn it yeah <laughs> which leads me to one of my last comments what are they doing with this dark universe thing derek Ah, okay. Uh, I'm yeah. so upset. <laughs> why, are you, why are you upset? You haven't even seen the movie. Just from the, the face of it, it bothers me. <laughs> okay, I don't, all right. I just don't like, you know, Tom Cruise is the mummy, Johnny Depp. I, I think I've come to realize that they're not going to make movies that are going to satisfy no. me anymore. No. I mean, they have, they have too many things. That's the, See, that's the difference between... Horror of the Blood Monsters. It's like that's the cheapest. I don't know how much it costs to film it, but a few thousand dollars or who knows. Yeah, whatever Carradine's budget was plus whatever was left over. Yeah. And compare that to some of these movies now where they spend literally hundreds of millions of dollars and and they just don't have the heart. You know, they're just so homogenized and and Mm -hmm. market driven and. It just it bothers me. It's Hollywood. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's what they do these days, and, and we're not in that demographic anymore. And it's just, it is what it is, and it's unfortunate. I agree with you. I, I do wish that, uh, you know, these movies were a little better. And um, Well, it's, yeah. to me, it just feels like, and I haven't seen that movie, but I've seen some of the other Frankenstein stuff that's come out. And it just feels like everybody's trying to marvelize everything. Yeah. You know, I don't want, I don't want to see the mummy or the, it, these people as superheroes. I mean, most of, most of them were driven by some kind of pathos or something. <laughs> and it just feels like in their search to, to find a, you know, money generating franchise. You are absolutely right, sir. That That's exactly what it is. Marvel's made the money, right? So what can we do to be like Marvel and make the money? And, and that's exactly what's happened. And you can't make the monsters have pathos because people don't want to see that. They want to see, just like with the casting, it's, you know, let's stick a big aging star in the title role. It's like, well, uh, yeah. that's just, that's just another example of just catering to a story and stuff that I'm not going to be interested in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. anyway. No, and I, I agree with you 100%, sir. I think to get the kind of stories that we want involving these properties we have to just go back to the originals you know go back to what's already out there and hope 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 that interest in the new mummy or the upcoming invisible man or bride of frankenstein or whatever ultimately leads universal or the rights holders to putting out more material featuring the originals i would love to see that 
I know it means double dipping and getting another Blu-ray of something I already have a Blu-ray of, but I just want to see more of it in the pop culture. Mm-hmm. You know, I want when people to talk about the mummy, I want them to think about Boris Karloff or, or Lon Chaney or even Tom Tyler, not necessarily Brendan Fraser, you know, <laughs> that, that's what I want. And, that, and that's been my, my gripe with remakes for years is that it dilutes the pop culture, the shared pop culture of these things, mm-hmm. you know, not, not that I travel in zombie waters anymore, but that was my biggest beef about the Dawn of the Dead remake is that it meant that anytime I talked about Dawn of the Dead, I always had to clarify, no, 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 the original, not the one with the characters whose names you don't remember, mm-hmm. you know? So it is what it is, but, uh, I agree with you 100%, sir. I wish we had, I want them to get off my lawn and, uh, <laughs> make movies that I care about. Yeah. <laughs> but enough negativity. Anyway, we, we'll be optimistic about it. Maybe they'll pivot a little bit. And we'll see. Well, you know, if Bride of Frankenstein is a smaller production, which I think they've kind of said that they were going to make it a little bit smaller, even before The Mummy didn't perform the way they wanted it to, it might be better. My, my concern is, and while I'm all for feminism and strong female roles, my concern is, is that they're going into it saying it's a very feminist production, which to me makes me worry that it's going to be a little over the top and ham fisted because I don't trust Hollywood to do that. Right. <laughs> Does that make sense? Makes per- Does that make me a terrible person? <laughs> no, not at all. Okay. Okay. Is there anything coming out this year? Theatrically wise, monster wise that, that you are excited about? I don't know of anything. Have you got an in on anything? There's nothing really that I can't think of anything off my off the top of my head myself. They should make another blob movie. You think so? I mean it is what, the sixtieth anniversary next year? Oh, is it? Yeah, well I like I think the so. first one I love. The second you know, the remake I did I thought was good and entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> did you ever see Blobber Mouth? No. <laughs> I have not. So one that they take the original blob with Steve McQueen, they do uh-huh. voiceover the whole time and make it into a comedy. Oh no. It's kind of <laughs> MST ish, but yeah, they take the, they fill in all the dialogue. Wow. It's cute. I mean, I know it's okay. for a purist. I'm sure <laughs> it might be offensive, <laughs> but the writing's good. It's crisp. It's good writing. Yeah, yeah I have. Okay. So maybe Blobbermouth. Yeah. What what about the uh, Larry Hagman directed sequel, Return of Blob or Son of Blob or whatever it is? How's that? How's that hold up? <laughs> I haven't seen that in a while, but I liked it. Doesn't that have like Broderick Cambridge and I? Boy, I can't remember. Yeah, I can't. It's been a while. But I don't know. Blob would be okay. I mean, a blob. You know, it travels well in time. Some monsters aren't as scary in 2017 as they were back in. 60s or 50s or yeah i mean the analogs are different the the real world fears that they're playing off of are different you know so yeah see yeah the blob could work i i could see that i i don't think i've seen the 80s blob in forever well monster the challenge the world on the other hand probably wouldn't be as frightening today yeah but i love that movie (laughs) oh me too i'm not i'm not saying i don't uh so we could sit here and wax nostalgic for a lot of these movies for hours i think yeah that's the downside for not, uh, you know, with not recording with you for a while, Tom. Is I get you on here, and I just want to gab. Well, it was nice talking to you, Derek. It's good we could do this. It's about time, right? Maybe next time we could do uh, what other terrible—I mean, not terrible, lovingly terrible movie could we? Yeah, I will find something. There's, there's plenty out there. You know, like I told you when I was when we saw you in person the other day. I, you know, I've been tapping into the '70s a little bit, and I know that's a little bit more in your wheelhouse for some of the stuff. So, yeah, we'll do it. Maybe we could talk about. Uh Sting of Death sometime. Have you talked about Sting of Death? Not 
like in depth. Um, That's I, 70s, I, so no, I, I love it. I love the Sing of Death quite a bit. I, I introduced it at the Joy Cinema <laughs> a while back, and that's the only time it's been brought up on the show. So I say, why not? Sounds good. Let's do it. Let's plan for Sting of Death, sir. Sounds like a plan. All right, Tom. Well, have a good rest of your day. My best to your wife and, and the dogs and everything else, and I will talk to you soon. Right back at you with the kitties and Bren, and we'll talk to you soon, Derek. Tom, my friend, thank you for bringing Horror of the Blood Monsters to my life. This movie was so much fun. I, uh, I'm just, I, I can't get over how much fun it was to watch the movie, record about the movie, and then edit that recording. I've had a blast doing that as well. I laughed out loud literally, and I, I do mean that word literally, several times while editing, especially when we were talking about Star Wars. And Oh, I'm not going to go down that path again. Listeners, you heard us talk about the Dark Universe, and like I said, we recorded this earlier this summer, so it was kind of before some of the latest news involving the Dark Universe and what's happening with Bride of Frankenstein, where Universal, quote-unquote, needs to fix the script. Yeah, I, I don't know what's happening anymore. I, Who knows? Is, is the mummy with Tom Cruise going to become Dracula Untold, and they're going to start over the whole Universal reboot thing again, and... Start with Bride of Frankenstein. Who knows? I don't know what's happening. Honestly, I haven't bothered to look because I'm just kind of waiting now to see what's going to happen. I have Dark Universe set up in my Google News Alerts, so I'll get the information as it comes out. I got to tell you, though, Alex Kurtzman, the guy who's supposedly in charge of the Dark Universe, he's also one of the guys in charge of Star Trek Discovery. I'm not going to get off on Star Trek Discovery, but man... What lucky tarot card did he draw? What what happened that made it so that he could sit in the chair and make the decisions, well, as best as he can when Tom Cruise is involved, but make the decisions to reboot or relaunch or reinvigorate two of my favorite franchises? What, what happened there? And more importantly, how do I switch places with the man? Because I think I could do at least as good a job. <laughs> Bigfoot, the missing link, found and filmed in the woods of Northern California. Bigfoot, filmed in Bosburg, Washington. Bigfoot, filmed in a beaver swamp. Authentic motion picture footage, never before seen. Now, in the legend of Bigfoot. Do you enjoy movies like Carnival of Souls, The Mole People, Black Sunday, and The Tingler? Do you find yourself late at night reading magazines such as Film Max, Chiller Theater, or Monster Bash? Do you love vintage television programs like Sky King, Outer Limits, and The Time Tunnel? Do you find yourself surfing the net looking for the next monster movie festival or expo? Do you enjoy hearing anecdotes, cinematic details, and unusual insights into some of your favorite movies? If you answered yes to any of the above, you are encouraged to join your host, Vince Rotolo, as he examines some of the latest horror, sci-fi, and cult theatrical releases, new DVDs to add to your collection, and of course, the old classics, both good and bad. He even interviews people throughout B-Moviedom. So tune in to B-MovieCast at bmoviecast.com. 
is back in a horrifying new adventure. And you are there, startled, stunned, terrified, as the blood-red creature rolls over and eats everything in its path. We're going to burn the place down. I can't take any chances. Beware the blob. Starring Robert Walker, Gwen Guilford. First thing you do when you get home, you go fishing. You know that's not the first thing I did when I got back home. Beware, Godfrey Cambridge. Beware, Carol Lindley. Beware, Shelley Berman. You would like a haircut? Yeah, it'd be $400. Beware, the blob. Larry Hagman and his pals tried to stop the blob with a pitchfork. Beware, the blob. Consuming human flesh on contact. I don't suppose you got any identification. Nothing can stop it. Not fire. Not water. Not even bullets. What do you mean? Huh? That thing. That's it. Oh. See Son of Blob. Ah, Earlier I said I was going to bring up the George Romero thing again, and I wanted to revisit that and make an announcement here and give you guys and gals a heads up. A lot of you know that even though Monster Kid Radio has been going since 2013, I've been podcasting much longer than that. My first podcast was a zombie movie podcast called Mail Order Zombie. And while that show did come to an end, with the passing of George Romero, I, I felt as if I wanted to do one final episode. So there is an upcoming episode of Mail Order Zombie that you're going to find in the Mail Order Zombie feed. I will make sure that you guys and gals know how to get to that feed and get to that episode when it comes out. You're going to hear at least two familiar voices from Mail Order Zombie on that episode. And you're even going to get two movie reviews. Well, at least one movie review and then a, a longer movie discussion. So that's coming. If you are interested in learning more about Mail Order Zombie and want to revisit any old episodes, we still have the feed up and running. It's in the iTunes store and you can go to MailOrderZombie.com to check out everything that we did there in the past. It is a slightly different show. The language is a little different. And I did call myself Brother D instead of just using my real name. But, you know, it's there. And I know that I have a lot of listeners here who found me as a podcaster through MOZ. Of course, the best part of Mail Order Zombie, according to a lot of people, is the person who just rolled her eyes in the other room. That's my wife, Brenda, who appeared on the show as Miss Bren. Okay, she's actually, you can't hear it because I don't have the other microphone hooked up. She's actually sitting here telling me, no, no, the family was the best part, the MOZ family, and that's true too. Anyway, I have a lot of fond memories from Mail Order Zombie, and there will be one more episode coming featuring me. I am going to try to get Brenda in front of the microphone, and like I said, at least one more voice from the past. Well, it's not really from the past because you've heard the voice. It's, it's Scott Morris. I'll just tell you now. Scott's going to be on that episode as well. I'm terrible at, at teasing, aren't I? You know, and he had a different name back then, too. And well, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Anyway, stay tuned. And then after that episode, after a few weeks, I'm going to repurpose that feed. I'm going to leave all the other episodes there. All of Mail Order Zombie will still be there, but the feed will be changed. The name of the podcast will be changed, and it'll be something a little bit more in line with 
the Monster Kid Radio thing that I do these days in the Monster Kid Radio Network. So that's coming. Stay tuned. New water and red blood. Thunderbird International Pictures presents Sting of Death, featuring the voice of Neil Sedaka. See a scientific dream turn into a nightmare of terror. I've got to go out on the reef. Fine. Uh, Egon, help me with the party. Oh, yeah. As Neil Sedaka sings, teenagers dance in happy abandon, unaware that cruel, merciless death stalks the dancers. Gory, mutilated victims of the caress that kills the horrible sting of death. Hi, this is Jeff Owens from the Classic Horrors Club. And I'm Richard Chamberlain from kccinephile.com and monstermoviekid.wordpress.com. We'd like to invite you to attend the next monthly meeting of the Classic Horrors Club on the Phantom Podcast Network. We think you'll enjoy our show, but don't take our word for it. Let's ask some of our listeners what they think. Excuse me, sir. What did you say after listening to the Classic Chorus Club podcast? I'll never smile again. Wow, that's a little mean. How about you, sir? Would you recommend the Classic Chorus Club podcast? It would be very dangerous, not only for you, but for others. Well, we do talk about classic horror, from silent screen to Halloween and everything scary in between, but I don't think I'd call it dangerous. I think that's enough from our listeners. I've always said we have the, uh, best fans... Why don't you give us a try yourselves? We meet once a month during the Classic Horrors Club podcast on the Phantom Podcast Network, found at downrightcreepy.com or at classichorrors.club. Oh, wait, here's one more listener walking his pet. What do you think of the Classic Horrors Club podcast? There's the stink of hell on this train. Even the dog knows it. underwater world of terror and suspense as you face the jaws of death. Here is the story of a man determined to stop the killing of sharks. You didn't catch this shark? Sure I did. Alone, he dares defend man's most dreaded enemy, destroying all who defied his warnings. Well, they can't go ahead and just kill all the sharks because they don't understand them. Now, can they? They put a bounty on them. In a moment of danger, Deadly sharks once saved his life. Now he lives and kills as one of them. Blood brother in a mysterious shark cult. You don't have to be afraid of any shark when you're with me. And now, without further delay, I'm proud to present the Aquamaids Real Live. Here is sheer terror. Unforgettable action, captured with some of the most daring underwater photography ever brought to the motion picture screen. Stark, chilling realism that plunges you into a twilight world of thrashing danger. Filmed without the benefit of cages, mechanical sharks, or other protective devices. A unique adventure that thrusts you into the jaws of death. They have 
never lived before as they live now. One man has already died, and the other was never born. Both exist in a world between life and death. Both long to be human. Neither can ever be. Dracula versus Frankenstein. Ten dead men's bodies were used to fashion Dr. Frankenstein's infamous creature. Tens of dozens of victims have kept Count Dracula alive for three centuries. Only one of these beings will survive their meeting. Dracula versus Frankenstein. Brand new thrills, brand new horror, brand new shock. Dracula versus Frankenstein in color. Rated GP. Hello, this is Raider Director Christopher R. Mim, the master of the Mimiverse. You're listening to Monster Kid Radio with Derek M. Cook, the greatest person I've ever met, sure. <laughs> So in addition to those voicemails I played at the top of the show, I also got a piece of email feedback from listener Chad Raderick. Now, it's a long one, but I think you're going to dig it. He writes, Hiya, Derek. I've listened to the show for a number of years now, but I've been reticent to get in touch. You and your guests cover the film so well, there's not much to say beyond thank you. So I never chimed in before. You had mentioned that if anyone was making it to the October Monster Bash, please send along their thoughts. And since I don't know if any of your other regular contributors were there, I thought I'd like to let you know about mine. For those that weren't aware, on Friday, October 13th and Saturday, October 14th, all eight of the Universal Frankenstein movies were screened at the beautiful Palace Theater in Canton, Ohio. It was billed as a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and it lived up to that. Now, the rest of this is a report from the two-day screening. Oh, man. I was already jealous because I know a handful of you guys and gals were able to go. Terry from It's Terry Riffrick was there. Author Brad A. Braddock was there. He's the guy who wrote Memoirs of Murder, a prequel to the 1932 classic White Zombie, who I met at the Monster Bash earlier this year. And he was representing Monster Kid Radio by wearing a cool t-shirt. But I'll talk about that here in a little bit. Anyway, uh, Chad was there as well, and this is his, I'm going to call it a con report, or a festival Report. After buying your ticket at the classic box office, the creepy classics gang were set up in the lobby with a myriad of DVDs, Blu-rays, T-shirts, and magazines. Upstairs in the mezzanine were more vendors with movie posters, books, monster magazines, toys, clothing, and more. Even local horror host The Son of Ghoul was there. Everyone was very personable, and there was a lot of great stuff to pick up. I finally closed some gaps in my Mexican monster movie collection. As good as the shopping was... Nothing could beat being in the palace. It lived up to its name and then some as it was a great example of a restored, well, movie palace. It was a great atmospheric theater with a starry sky and they even had their original cloud machine. There was even a gel of the Frankenstein monster projected in the sky too. The ornate sculptures and backlit busts were beautiful. Seeing the movies in a grand theater like that really made the show feel like you'd walk through time back to when the movies would have originally been screened. I was very glad to see on a plaque out front that the theater, which was built in 1926, was a historical landmark. You couldn't have asked for a better place to see these movies in. While we were there for the movies, there was a surprise in store. About 10 minutes before showtime, I was surprised to hear an organ start to play. I knew old movie palaces had them, but I never thought I'd hear one. The coolest part was when the organ rose from the orchestra pit. 
My jaw dropped, and I couldn't help but to laugh and clap because I enjoyed it so much. There were two organists over the course of the weekend, and both did an excellent job. Ron then came out to introduce the movie before each show. During the intros, as well as info about the movies, he let us know that he had done some research online and couldn't find another show that had screened all eight Frankenstein movies on the same bill, so it may have been the first time it had been done. He also let us know on Saturday that a couple had come in from Chicago for their anniversary, which made it a double since it was his own, too. With the intros complete, the organist would start up again and descend into the orchestra pit. After a trailer for the Summer Bash, the features began. In my internet surfing, I've come across listings for showings of Frankenstein and Bride. TCM did that double bill not too long ago. Occasionally, there'd be ones for Meets the Wolfman or Abbott and Costello, and I think once I saw one for Son of Frankenstein, Never thought I would ever see ghosts on the big screen, let alone the two houses. Seeing them larger in life, much bigger than any TV, immersed you in the movies. It was magic. All of these films I'd seen countless times, but this made me love them even more. Details that are easy to miss at home jumped right out at you. I cannot tell any Monster Kid or classic movie fan enough. Seeing the classics, and even not-so-classics to borrow a line, on the big screen is a must. You won't regret the experience. At the end of the night, Ron and the crew did the prize toss for all of us and made it to the end. It was a nice cap to each wonderful show and greatly appreciated. Now I heard musings on what might be the topic for next year's October Bash, and it's not my place to say. But I think it would be alright to report that Ron said they are definitely doing something next year. If it's anything like this year, you couldn't keep me away. I realize this is more of an article than a letter, so if you decide to use it on the air, I completely understand editing it for brevity. Ah, no, we read the whole thing, man. And since I'm here, I'll let you know that I really dig the theme months and hope that you give Lucha de Mayo another shot this year. I love those Mexican monster and luchador movies just as much as the classics from here. Also, in going over your letterboxed list, I noticed how many Universal classics you have yet to cover. I hope to hear more soon. I also would love to hear you cover The Man from Planet X, Dr. Cyclops, Shh, The Octopus, and the often said, but that's another show topic of film copyrights. But whatever you talk about, know that you make this monster kid happy every week with a new episode of the show. Thanks again for all that you do to keep these movies alive. And I hope to see you at next year's October bash signed Chad Roderick. Chad, you're the man. And I'm so jealous, but man, you're the man. Oh, this is awesome. I had no idea. I knew it was restored palace, but I, I purposely didn't really look too much into it because I knew I wasn't going to be able to get there. And I didn't want to make myself feel bad for not being able to make it. Whoa, boy, the pictures you've painted here uh, describing the theater and the mezzanine and the starry sky, the cloud machine? What? I, what? That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing this. And if Ron is doing something again next October and it's half as good as you made it sound like this event was, man, listeners, you got to go. Will I be able to make it? Well, uh, I'm focusing most of my efforts on making sure I get to next summer's Monster Bash because Monster Kid Radio will have a table there. I've been invited to actually be a presence at the bash, which is amazing. And I'm so touched that Ron has reached out to me this way. But to be at the October Bash next year, I think a lot of really big things have to happen pretty quick to make it so that I can afford to get out there and make that happen. Just, you know, there's the whole day job thing and, and other stuff. But boy, that sounded like a really, really amazing time. As far as covering more Universal Classics, you know, 
And I ran into this with a book project that I'm working on right now where I want to talk about classic monster movies that people need to see. You know, it's a monster movie guide kind of thing. Because Universal movies and Universal classics are so synonymous with classic horror, I sometimes worry, and maybe needlessly so, that if I were to make a list or a series of podcasts highlighting what I consider the best or the most important classic monster movies, it would just turn into the Universal show. That said, next week, Dwight Kemper will be on the show and we're going to be talking about Son of Frankenstein. So, there you go. The Man from Planet X, Dr. Cyclops, The Octopus, I've seen two of the three. You can decide which one I have not seen yet. I'll let you guess. But yeah, let's put them on the list at some point. I'd love to talk about them. As far as Lucha de Mayo goes. So this past May, I tried to do a month of luchador monster movies, and I was kind of sort of successful, but scheduling became an issue and, you know, that whole dreaded day job, real life stuff. It just didn't work out. But I'm very encouraged that Sword and Sandal and Monsters Month worked out so well. And I'm planning something for December. I, I hope it'll work out. I've put out some feelers. I need to send one more message to somebody. Rich Chamberlain, stay tuned. I'm, I'm talking to you. Uh, anyway, I need to reach out to some other people, but I am planning something in December as well. Kind of a mini theme month, you know, three weeks. But I don't want to announce it until I know it's a, a done deal. Why not? Let's shoot for Lucha de Mayo month next year in May. I need to reach out to a few people, including Juan Ortiz, friend of the show. Don't know if he was at the October Bash, but he's a mainstay at the Summer Bash. And a few other people. I'm sure Frank Schildener would love to come back on to talk about Luchador Monster movies again. And, well, there's a handful of other people that I would love to have on the show. So stay tuned. The letterboxed list that was put together by a listener of the show, Ken Blows, who is awesome. Ken is also somebody that I met in person at Monster Bash this past year. He's a longtime supporter of Monster Kid Radio and... Oh, he's just a great guy. So thank you, Ken. If I haven't said it recently, probably should for putting together the Letterboxd page. Now, Letterboxd is uh, a way to kind of track the movies that you've seen or, or to create a collection of movies. You can find a link to the Letterboxd page through our website over at monsterkidradio.net. It's right there across the top. With everything else we've got links to, like our Facebook page, our Facebook group, our Patreon campaign, which I need to get caught up on. Uh, links to everything that we talk about on the show is on our website. Something that you might have noticed if you go to the website, something called the Monster Kid Radio Book Club. I'm going to start getting into doing some book stuff here on the show, starting with a review on the website of the brand new book from McFarland. Universal Terrors, 1951 to 1955, eight classic horror and sci-fi films. The book was written by Tom Weaver, David Schechter, Robert J. Kiss, and Steve Cronenberg. That review will be coming soon. Thanks to McFarland for providing Monster Kid Radio with a review copy of the book. You know, we're talking about the website. That's typically what I do at the end of the show. So why don't we go ahead and wrap this up? I really appreciate all the feedback, the voicemails and the emails. They mean a lot. It's one of the things that podcasters live for, especially a podcaster like me who, for the most part, does all the production solo. I mean, yeah, I have the guests on and I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm discrediting that I'm not. I love having the guests on the show. I love doing my recordings with them. But when it comes to actually putting the show together at the end, the intro, the outro, I'm on my own. So the feedback from you is like I've got somebody sitting next to me hanging out in front of the computer here at the Monster Kid Radio dungeon caverns. Let's call it a cavern this week, the Monster Kid Radio caverns. So thank you for being part of the show through your feedback. If you want to contribute to the show by feedback, please drop me an email at monsterkidradio at gmail.com 
or you can send an audio recording to that email address, or you can just call into our voicemail line at 503-4795-MKR. That's 503-4795-657. This is, of course, all available right there at monsterkidradio.net. I mean, we're talking about the website. That's where it's at. Something else you're going to find on the website is a link to our t-shirt shop. Yeah, you can pick up a t-shirt supporting Monster Kid Radio. We have a tea public store. I make a couple of bucks per t-shirt, and it, it helps keep the podcast going outside of what happens with Patreon. So go to tpublic.com and look up Monster Kid Radio, or just follow the link in the show notes. And I mentioned earlier I wanted to bring up Brad A. Braddock, who was at the October Bash. From what I understand, and I did see a picture, so I know it really happened. He was supporting Monster Kid Radio by rocking a t-shirt that he picked up from the t-public store it is a t-shirt based on the poster design for an upcoming episode of monster kid radio in which scott morris and i will be talking about it's the terror from beyond space and actually that episode is going to be coming out in november so that's coming Anyway, check out TeePublic. They very often will do sales and discounts. Instead of $20, they'll sell shirts for $14. And, well, anything that you pick up there, like I said, helps support Monster Kid Radio. Next week on Monster Kid Radio, it's still the month of Halloween, so we've got to talk about some monsters. And like I said earlier, Son of Frankenstein with my friend, Dwight Kemper. Ago in the barony of Frankenstein, a monster created by man stalked through the country, bringing and killing. In time, Frankenstein, maker of the monster, died. The monster disappeared. Now, after 20 years, the son of Frankenstein returns, and fear grips the village anew. A man tainted by the blood of his father can forget his human soul and carry on the diabolical work of the Frankenstein. As a man, I should destroy him. But as a scientist, I should do everything in my power to bring him back to conscious life. Benson, turn on the generator. Produced on a vast scale, Universal Son of Frankenstein presents the most fearsome cast in the history of the screen. Basil Rathbone. In his heart, warm human emotions. In his mind, the monster mania. Alive. Alive, you mean? Yes, alive, but alive. I thought you said our experiments. I were... know, I know. I too thought that we failed, but we haven't. I've actually seen it walk. Karloff, rising from the past to spread new terror. Lugosi, sinister, mysterious, evil. You see that? They hanged me once. Lionel Atwill, grim hatred in his blood. One doesn't easily forget, Herr Baron. An arm torn out of the roots. Josephine Hutchinson, her young beauty a magnet to the menace around her. I hate it here, Wolf. I'm terribly afraid all the time. By heaven, I think you're a worse fiend than your father. Where is this monster? Where is he? I'll stay by your side until you confess. And if you don't, I'll feed you to the villagers. I'm really looking forward to this. I've been sitting on the Son of Frankenstein recording for a while, and I'll tell you why next week. Uh, it wasn't on purpose. But yeah, it's going to be a good time. 
I'm looking forward to it. If you haven't read Dwight's books by now, look him up on Amazon. He's got some great stuff out there. And I know recently he was talking on Facebook about having a medical thing happen. I'm glad he's home and things seem to be going okay. So thumbs up there. Speaking of people with medical things happening, another friend of the show who was on the show a while back now when we talked about the movie Dracula, author Justin McCumber was on the show. And I don't know if Justin listens to the show or if anybody out there knows who Justin McCumber is. Justin is the guy who created the Dead Robot Society podcast, which I'd be lying if I didn't say helped influence me as a writer. I know he's going through some medical things right now as well. And Justin, if you are listening or if anybody knows Justin, let him know that we're thinking about him here at the Monster Kid Radio Caverns. And apparently my cat is also thinking about Justin. I don't know if you heard her or not, but that's Wednesday in the background. Anyway, that's it. The end of the show. Before I sign off, I want to say thank you to the band Black Transmitter. I actually was contacted by them. Hugo from the band contacted me with an email saying, hey, my brother's a fan of your podcast show. Just turned me on to it and suggested that I reach out to you. I'd like to submit my band if that's cool. Oh, it's definitely cool. And I'm glad he did because I like the band. And finally, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All the original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, there's some original music in this episode as well. The tracks Villainous Treachery, Distressed, and Trouble belong to Kevin McLeod over at Incompetech.com. And then the song that opened and closed the show, Under the Phosphine Sun, that belongs to the band Black Transmitter. Head over to blacktransmitter.bandcamp.com and let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. My name is Derek M. Cook. Looking forward to having you here next week to talk about Son of Frankenstein with Dwight Kemper. Ciao.